0: Block Talk Radio. It's time
1: for the Root and Roots show on blogtalkradio.com. Now here's your host, Greg Rashid, bringing you the best in music, information, and history.
2: Say good evening everyone. I hope it's warm where you are this evening. This is Greg Rasheed, as Janine just said, the host of the Root and Root Show. We come on every Saturday evening at six PM Eastern Standard Time Sat and also on Fridays at six PM Eastern Standard Time as well as um uh, on a delayed basis on K-U-H-S in Denver, Denver Radio and TV, and I want to thank Henry Archer Letter for the opportunity to put me on that station, and I just want to thank everyone out there who's been listening and just continue to listen to the show because I I have someone who's actually one of my favorite guests. I'm happy to have her back on, but I want to set this up by playing a song that's going to be appropriate for the theme we're talking about, and this is... From 1902, this is Arthur Collins, and this is all coons look alike for me. I mean, all coons look alike to me. So let's hear that on the Root and Root show.
3: All coons look alike to me, sung by Arthur Collins with his banjo accompaniment by Mr. Bess L. Osmond, Edison Records.
0: Talk about a coon have trouble. I think
4: I have enough out of the old. It's all about the Lucy Katie's trouble, and she has caused my heart to mourn. There's another cooler bottle from Virginia. It's fatty, he's the leader of the day. And now my honey gal is going to quit me. Yes, yeah, she's gone and drove the cooler
5: away. She's no excuse to
4: turn me loose.
3: I'll be the view. I'm
4: all confused. Good <laughs> Because his work is in this way Well, are oh, Cohn's cool to look alike like to me I've got another boy, you see And he's just as good to me Hey, you nigger, it's hard to be He spends his money free I know we can't agree So I don't like to know how Paul oh, cool look alike like to me I always bought a present by the floor. And now my brain will borrow, am I really? But she won't accept them anymore. If I treated her wrong, oh, can would have loved me. Like so all the rest, she's going to let me down. If I'm lucky, I'm going to catch the policy. And win the sweet thing from town. For I'm worried. And yes, I'm different. And I'll be gentle. And i get dangerous. Shh! <laughs> oh my. <laughs> It is what she says to me, well, four oh, cones cool, look alike to me. I've got another boy, you see, and he's just as good to me as you nigger ever tried to be. He spends his
3: money free. I know we can't agree, so I don't like you know how oh, oh, all cones cool, look like to me.
2: Again, that was Arthur Collins, All Coons Look Alike to Me. That was 1902. And I, you know, and I hope that some folks didn't get offended by that song, but it's part of the history. you got to understand the history. And i got one of the best historians on the line right now. I really enjoyed talking to her uh, last month when we talked about Selma. And I'm just happy to have her on this time to talk about her book. And I'm talking about Dr. Katrina D. Thompson. She is the assistant professor of history and African American studies at St. Louis University, and the professor is also the author of a book, Ring, Shout, Wheel About: The Racial Politics of Music and Dance in North American Slavery. How are you doing, Professor Thompson?
1: Hi, hi. Thank you for having me.
2: Well, thank you for coming back on again. And this book is really, um, it's it's an excellent book, and I'm glad that you know. To have you on to talk about this Especially during, and I put in parentheses Black History Month Because on this show, Black History Month is every month on here But I love the premise of the book Because I've had people on this program in the past Who've talked about blackface And that's why I did that first song And a lot of folks will tell you that American entertainment started in the minstrel period In the early 19th century but you say your thesis in this book is that it starts further than that, and it started really on the slave ships as the ships were coming here. So I just want you to talk about briefly what inspired you to write this book, and what you know what were your goals with it as you were writing the book, and what did you discover that you didn't know as you were writing the book
1: well when i um what really inspired me to write this book was. I interviewed my great-aunt, Ruth Gallman, who um, passed away about two or three years ago, and she passed away at the age of 112. And so I interviewed her just concerning the family history. Her mother lived to be 100, and her grandmother, from what we understand, lived to be at 120. So I was trying to sort of get a family history and just find out more about my background, and I asked her what does she know about her grandmother and her mother who lived as late. And the one thing that she mentioned, which really in many ways shocked me, was, well, you know, they used to make them dance. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, they'll put them on a block and it'll make them perform. And if you perform good, they buy you. If not, they wouldn't buy you. And so the first thing I thought was, this is amazing that this is what she remembers from the stories of her grandmother and mother about slavery. And what she was referring to was the auction block, the domestic slave trade where they where. Uh, Thousands of slaves are sold throughout the United States, and she was referring to them actually having to perform their agility, their happiness for white consumers to prove that they'll be good slaves. And so when she said that, I, I started to do research, and I realized, oh, my gosh, she's right. And so I've always thought of music and dance in African-American culture as being very strong and being a part of African continuance, so things that we do right. such as cholera, spots, and ring shout, and that being a very strong cultural uh, relic, which it is. However, I didn't realize how complex it was until my great aunt mentioned those very simple words. So that's how I started the research, with a family story about Blaze being forced to perform on the auction block and it took me all the way back to the west coast of Africa in the beginning of the slave trade. And so it it, it started from family. Um, that's why my book is dedicated to my aunt. And just sort of thinking about the fact that it had to be such a strong story told to her, that it was a memory 100, over 100 years after slavery that she was able to retell. And so essentially I
5: just
1: – Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I traced it back uh, that – The first sort of forced performances of um, of West Africans in the slave trade was during the Middle Passage. They used to call it dancing the slaves. So for um, decades, historians have referred to that as the exercise, which is true. That took place because it took such a long time, and they're sort of stuck in this this confined space. So you need to exercise the limbs, and dancing was used for that. But in my book, I recognize that dancing is so much music and dance is so much more complex. It's not only a cultural expression of West Africans um, during this, this, this sort of passage, but it also was entertainment for the white sailors and a form of torture by the white sailors. And that tradition continued throughout the slavery experience.
2: You know, and I, I like how, and by the way, listeners, you can join in the conversation. It's 424 675 424 I'm talking to Professor... Katrina Thompson, author of the book "Ring Shout: Wheel About the Racial Politics of Music and Dance and North American Slavery, and you know I like how you arranged the chapters, the names you gave them, but I have to say that all chapters were hard to read, not because it was hard not hard as far as just reading, trying to read, but reading the subject matter in particular chapter two casting I mean that was a brutal chapter to read and there's just things I've learned, you know, that you've taught me from reading this book that I didn't know. And just talk about the one incident on the—I think it was the—was it ship the Neptune? Is that the name of it? Or the recovery? The recovery.
1: The recovery, yes. Well, essentially, um, that case is very interesting because it's been—it's been retold several times. What's it place during uh, the Spaceship Recovery? Just to sort of give a really quick story was uh, the normal uh, process of of gathering slaves on the west coast of Africa and bringing them on the ship. So on this particular ship, there were several uh, West African women that were were collected and brought on the ship, and they were used and raped by the white male slave ship um, sailors, which is very, very common. Uh, The captain um, and several of the sailors would rape several women. And Sometimes it would be the same women. Sometimes they would randomly pick them, and what was taking place is one of the particular women, uh, basically they were saying that she was silly. She she did not comply to what they were asking. What was very common during the Middle Passage was that music and dance wasn't only used to entertain the white slave ship uh, captains and sailors, but for women who were performing music and dance under the whip, it was also a prelude to sex. It's a prelude to rape. And so in many ways... Um, they're distorting uh, sort of the music and dance culture. So what you have is this one young lady, and we don't know her name because they're, they're taking away their names. And they often give the names on a right. slave ship. But um, And so she's around the age of 13 or 14, according to records, and she's not willing to dance. Now, and so basically what happens is the other women, before their race, they have to dance with the slave ship uh, sailors. It, it became sort of a prelude. It was a very sick thing. This one young lady refused to do it. And so they hung her her, uh, backwards on the ship, and they they basically tortured her until she died. And essentially what they're saying is that she was sully. She refused to dance. She refused to sort of comply to what was expected in subordination on the ship. And it it could be various reasons. Number one, she had a very bad case of gonorrhea and other STDs that she got from being raped, and she was in extreme pain. Um, And so this incident actually becomes a case in England because it was seen as that cruel. The captain does get off, but he essentially tortures her to death, and the reason that he says that he does is because she refused to dance, and for him, dancing wasn't simply entertainment. It was compliance of the cultural situation, the subordinate that was needed for the slave ship experience, for the whole slavery institution, and so when I use it, I use it to show Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that, that chapter, like I said, is very brutal to read. And just looking at the picture on page 43, it's just hard to really realize yeah. this was going on. And to know this is going on constantly during that whole period. And, and the just, justification of it, that's what gets you. How it's justified. How, you know, as I was reading the chapter, how, in a sense, the way they were talking about her, it's like, she had this venereal disease that she kind of gave to everyone else because she's this wild person that you know these sailors really didn't have that until they came along her and the other African women and and, and so it's just really sick when you read it. But you
1: know, it's, yeah, and I mean, and that that is the way they would justify themselves because she she received um, she was constantly raped. She received in slave ship captains. These white slave ship captains and sailors were known for being the carriers of, of all kinds of sexually transmitted diseases. So this isn't an unusual thing. But I, I, when when you read it, you're mainly reading it from the perspective of the white sailors. So they're speaking, and you have to be able to read between the lines and realize that the reason they're putting her down and making her seem as if when the victim actually sort of is uh, portrayed as the predator. In some ways, it's it's to justify their own actions And that's common throughout slavery Is the idea that Blacks want to be enslaved That they're supposed to be, this is a natural position And in some ways we're helping them And so that is sort of this sort of Very interesting dynamic That takes place with this internalized White justification of slavery And you see that with uh, And
2: you also kind of see that You know, even today As far as cases of rape where you still have in some courts judges, you know, juries, people justifying why a woman was raped because of her dress, where she happened to be at that moment, what she was drinking. I mean it's all of that. There's all there's still this justification. That continues it's amazing to go how on
1: times times really don't change and that that's a really sad thing. and it's interesting my um my first chapter is in West Africa, and it looks at how it looks at West African dance and music culture, and that it's a very strong uh experience there however white Europeans, western Europeans and American uh slave traders go there and they see this, which is really uh, a a deep uh spiritual uh sacred thing of music and dance, and they turn it and they say, Wow, look at how these women dance, they must be sexual.." They must be lascivious, they must be lewd, and they're just setting up a system where these women can't be raped because they're over-sexualized. So in their head, it's okay. And so you see that even with the way they manipulate interpretation of dance and music.
2: And and it's so funny, you know, because as I was reading the book, reading that chapter, you know, reading this book, because I was going to get to this later on in our conversation, but we might as well just get into this now, how... It's still all of this is still going on as far as entertainment today. There is still the justification within, you know, black entertainers that well, they act a certain way. They may not get this award because they're naturally talented. They naturally can sing, and then you have folks such as uh, this rapper. What's her name from Australia? Iggy who are taking the culture and just twisting it and using it for their own, you know, just to make money, just as folks did in the 19th century with uh, the songs they were using, such as folks like uh, with Dan you know, Dan Rice. And I just want you to talk about the whole thing with someone like Dan Rice and doing Jim Crow and comparing that to what's going on now with some of the white rappers like someone like a Iggy.
1: Yeah, it it's very interesting how it's it's quite a similar idea because it's this idea of mimicking and mock. And so when you let, look at the beginning of Blackface Minstrel with um with uh, Dan Rice and and, and in the eighteen thirties, um, the way the blackface minstrel show started is that they claim to have watched a black man with rheumatism dancing and singing and sort of mimicking or mocking that on the stage. And that's how Thomas Start with Rice and uh, Jim Crow was introduced to the world, that he's saying that he's actually mocking the actual person. And and so what's interesting, and I, I look at this in my book, and number one, it's problematic to, because my question is, for why, if you are mocking a black person singing and dancing, why are they singing and dancing? And this is sort of the background of, of my entire book. What's interesting is the way I look at, Blackface minstrel show, and I'll similar to Iggy Azalea, is that the blackface minstrel show is the mocking of blacks who are putting on a facade, a performance that's forced by whites on the plantation. Right. And so, and so, so number one, if they're already the blackface minstrel show is displaying the facade or mocking the facade that we're putting up that we're forced to do during slavery. And so, Iggy Azalea sort of is putting on, in a lot of ways, um, she's, she's putting on this sort of southern style, rapping style. Um, she's putting on, accent, and she's even putting on a lifestyle in her lyrics that she's not necessarily reflecting. She is mocking and mimicking black culture, which in many ways is itself putting on a facade for the public consumption, because it's all a performance. And so it's problematic. Number one, I don't think if Izzy Azalea was black, she would have the same reception as in popularity and sales. And so if there is this sort of continuance of white in black face, or for Izzy Azalea, white in black facade, that still is a part of American consumer culture and pop culture. And so it's it's really problematic. And, and also, the major problem is that these are not people who are respecting African American culture. Uh, Thomas Dartwirth, Rice, Rice did not, or Mitchell characters, did not respect Black culture. It wasn't sort of a homage to Black artistic style. There wasn't. They weren't actually trying to get to know African American culture. Iggy Azalea is doing the same thing. She's not actually trying to understand African American culture. It's not a homage. It's a, It's um She's putting on. Blackness in the same way that Thomas Dartmouth Rice did, um, and it's just a part of consumer culture. The bad thing, she isn't a good. There are very good white rappers that are not doing that. They're displaying their own culture, or they're displaying cultures that um, the, sort of their own experience in their own generation. But and they're not trying to put on this accent. But she, she's definitely an interesting time because she's very, in many ways, uh, a minstrelized performance.
2: You know, and I said actually, I made a comment on one of the social media pages one day that elicited a lot of responses. I, I put a picture of her and put a picture of uh, Amos and Andy, the black the radio version of Amos and Andy, and them in blackface. And I just said, Is she the new blackface? And I had a number of 20 year olds that just attacked me. And really, and these are African Americans, attack me and just defend her. But they couldn't explain why they actually like her music. When I would ask them questions like that, it was just they didn't understand. They really didn't understand the history, and they just thought that I was offending her in that looking at the broader history of of the subject.
1: Yeah, it's very it's very interesting um, that people are quick to make a response to a history they're not well aware of, and it's not it's all a performance. And if that's how she chooses. Perform that is her, you know, that's her prerogative in many ways. However, it is us as people in um, in the fields that we are to comment on it to recognize something that we see. I have there is a lot of debate in, in popular culture and online concerning her, uh, and my biggest issue is if she's putting on a voice and a whole sort of culture that's not she's she's is not even close to her, and so there are a lot of white female rappers from throughout Europe, who actually do rap uh, representing their culture, representing their their ideals. She's very different, and she's not respecting uh, the black rappers and and performers in her field, and she's doing it publicly. So it's very interesting. but people are quick to defend her, Uh, however they don't know. They don't understand the complexity of this particular performance style and that this is nothing new and that we've seen this before.
2: And that's what's so fascinating about your book, uh, Professor Thompson, that there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, everything you're saying is still going on. Now, I want you to talk about it also. And listeners, you can join in at 424 675 8315 and talking to Professor Katrina Thompson, author of the book Ring Shout Wheel About the Racial Politics of Music and Dance in North American Slavery. And don't, don't send me any emails or Facebook messages about how great. Uh, Professor Thompson was as you did before and saying, Well you should have asked her this. No, you have a chance to ask ask <laughs> her right now. So I wanna you know, I wanna ask you too, um, going back to the book, talk about, you know, the chapter on advertisement because I had never looked at what was going on with the well, you explained the whole thing about advertisement, in particular the you know, our you know, our ancestors being bound and chains and just Walked about. Let's just, just talk about that because that's, that's a fa- all, the whole All the book is fascinating, but that's a fascinating chapter.
1: Thank you very much. It's an uh, advertisement, essentially, looks at the domestic slave trade. And so, just to sort of distinguish, um, there's the international slave trade, or also known as the Middle Passage or Triangular Trade, which is the trade between West Africa, uh, West Indies, and in America, and then uh, sometimes uh, England. Then you have the domestic trade, which is the internal trade within the United States of slaves who are often traveled by coffle, either via via walking or by boat, to get from one place to another to be sold internally. And domestic slaves really start to grow uh, after the international slave trade legally ended. And so what you have is you have slaves who are bound um, traveling often by foot, uh, from places such as D.C., from St. Louis, from New Orleans, uh, going to the auction block. So what was taking place is beyond putting advertisements in the newspapers and posters saying, you know, slaves for sale at this date and time, when they would walk them through the city, to when they were arriving or going through the city, heading to the auction block, they would make them sing and dance. They would often hire either um, – A fiddler with them or force or get a slave or buy a slave that was a musician and so while they're traveling through their towns they would they would make them sing a dance or just have lively music playing and essentially what they're doing is they're advertising they're showing that these people these human commodities are about to be on the market and look at them they are lively they're happy slaves and this is what we're selling we're selling a good breed of slaves that are going to serve you and not rebel which we all know is not true but they're putting up this facade, and it's a very forced facade. And so you have in these. not only do you have it as they're walking through towns or even on the riverboat going to the auction block, but when they're actually at the auction block, before the sale would actually take place, you can go and view the human commodity. You can go and view the bondsmen and bondswomen and, and see, like, what's, who who is going to be for sale, which is a very interesting if you think about it process. And so they'll sometimes have them in, like, a courtyard, and you can go and look at them in this courtyard, and they'll have a fiddler in there who will be playing sort of lively music, and they'll make the slaves dance and sing, or just look. And it's not only dance and sing, but look happy, look cheerful. And so while you're going to go look at uh, the people who would soon be for sale, they have this little performance that the slave traders were choreographing in the background. You don't see them with a the whip in hand, but trust me, if they did not jump lively and dance with a smile on their face or sing happily or sing a joyful tune, they would get beat, and there was a special room where they'll tie them to the floor sometimes and beat them. And so okay. this is all a part of the advertisement before you go on the auction block, because if you're buying a slave, you want to buy a slave that at least you can psychologically make it up in your head. There's this, you know, veneer in your head that I'm buying a happy slave that's going to serve me for a lifetime. And so you, that was you know, all... Professor,
2: Yeah, Professor Thompson. You know what you're really saying. I mean, the book is about the dawn of American entertainment, but you're also talking about the dawn of American advertising, commercials in particular.
1: Yes. You know, yes, you have perfect.
2: a few minutes to watch a commercial. Everything's happy. You're you're playing a as an act, but the whole goal is to sell a product. And this is the, I mean, and and that's what hit me as I was reading that chapter. I said, "My goodness, this is about this is actually commercials, living commercials going through towns."
1: Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's it's very hard. You know, writing the book was very hard because I had to take myself out of it. Take my culture out of it. Take my personal beliefs and look at how human beings, because you wouldn't think I was talking about human beings right now, but look how human beings were treated and and look at how this is all a business. This is all a culture. This is all a society. These, These slave traders are all doing it. This isn't like one slave trader that came up with this. This is a part of they're all sort of doing this and making their product look appealing to the public, the thing that makes it sort of sick is that the product are human beings, you know, they're it. it's not a car,
2: it's nothing inanimate, it's a human being. Yes. And that, that's what, like you said, that's what's sick. And the fact is, as you mentioned in one of the chapters too, is that everyone was involved in slavery. I mean, everyone. Both, you know, no matter what part of the country uh, of this country you were in, everyone was involved in it, and you couldn't escape it.
1: No, you couldn't escape it. For those people who thought, okay, I, I don't own slaves, they, they, you know, they didn't really. They thought they were not involved. Soon, there were laws like the Fugitive Slave Act. that said no matter what. You are responsible to make these, make sure these human people, human property are going back. And that's one of right. the things about advertisement in this domestic slave trade, people who didn't own slaves, people who did not want to think about slaves being you know they just want to completely disconnect from the fact that this existed in the country that they live, they still saw uh, the cowful and the performing going through towns. They went through towns, uh, because you have to realize, D.C., Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, was one of the biggest slave trading areas. And so one of the reasons it was outlawed, yes. I mean, people from all over the world would go to D.C. and they saw this, and that's one of the reasons it eventually became outlawed, because they started to get embarrassed that, oh, wait, you know, people are talking about this when they come and visit our nation's capital. But this, I mean, you're in... A slave pen, being forced to perform music and dance, about to be sold on the auction block, block and being separated from your children and your husband or your wife, and you're looking at the Capitol, at the bar. It's a very interesting dynamic.
2: Well, oh, it, it certainly is. I mean, it's just it's just amazing. It's just so sad, and I'm just glad that you wrote this book. and you know, and, it's, and I want my listeners to know, it's a it's a quick book. It's not you know. But it's got so much information. And How long did it take you to write this? Because, I mean, you really did a ton of research.
1: Oh, gosh, how long did it take me? I don't know. Several years. Uh, I had to travel extensively. I I traveled to Liverpool and and, uh, London, which uh, many people don't know. But the the slave trade mainly went out of Liverpool and London. They they were uh, very big in international slave trade. And so that's where all the records are. I went throughout the South from New Orleans to uh, Nashville to North Carolina. I did research in New York. So it, a lot of traveling. So it took several years <laughs> of just going from archives to archives and just digging through uh, and then trying to figure out how can I present all of this evidence of something that, that as I show in my book, happened time and time again. How can I present this? That you, did a, you have done a
2: great job of it. What did you find? Yeah, and, and, and Professor Thompson, what one thing that when you came in to write, when you were starting to write the book after talking to your your aunt and your relatives and all that, what one thing did you discover that you said, "Oh my God, I didn't know this"?
1: There's a lot I discovered. <laughs> um, I, be, yeah. I always yeah, there, there's so much that I discovered. I I think the the main thing is I always knew that the complexity of African Americans during slavery was amazing. The way that African Americans were able to maneuver and strategize to gain power, and, and, you know, using that word power, very flexible, because there's all kinds of powers. There are power that you have where you just break uh, the the, uh, machine or you kill one of the – you do something to sort of get back or to gain some time away, or running away, anything that you could sort of gain, any type of um, freedoms, little freedoms that the slaves or, or had continual rebellions. We're very aware of rebellions, revolts. African Americans were continually rebelling, revolting throughout slavery. But what I found interesting is how well they were aware of the facade of slavery. And I'll give you one quick example. There was one slave, uh, bondsman Tom Wilson, who he continually tried to run away. That this was, uh, and you see this a lot. He was a bondman that was determined to be free, and so while he was running away, he literally ran into the people, the patrollers who were looking for him. Right, so he runs into the patrollers who are right. looking for him. He begins to see and dance because he's very much aware. This bondman, who we're not, who most likely due to the law is not literate, understood that whites think that we're happy when we're singing and dancing. So I'm running into the people who are trying to capture me back into slavery. He sings and the dance. They throw pennies at his feet. He actually is able to take those pennies and escape to the north. He's able <laughs> to use the facade of slavery that whites have put on him for his good, and you see that continually. So the, I've always known African American ingenuity and just survival ability is amazing, and it's a very proud thing, a part of my culture. However, it's just the trickster element, you know. That's that, it, that, and that's a whole that different, that's a different show right
5: there. Oh yeah, yeah that,
1: that just tricks, makes it amazing. I, I
5: have to get the you trickster. back on just to get a, to talk about <laughs> the trickster
2: because that, that's a whole different thing. And even Frederick Douglass talks about the trickster, and that's yes. that's that's, a, that's that's a show in itself there. But this, you know, I, I want to ask you. We talked about a little early in the program about what's going on now, and and you really, I have to say this, Professor Thompson. You, our discussion the first time about the movie Selma made me really sit back and reexamine some things about that movie. And I just want to thank you for the comments you made that night because I really had to relook at some things in that movie. And your thank comments were so succinct and just.
4: Me.
2: Yeah, yeah it, it's just you were on target, and you pointed out some things that I just didn't really see when I first saw it, but now I understand it further and what's really going on as far as what, what the real target of the movie is and what you know, what message wasn't getting across. And I just you know, I just want to ask you just get, you know, still keeping with the book but talking again about what's going on in entertainment today, I want you to comment about this pheno- I don't want to call it a phenomenon of how all of a sudden And I see it on social media not a lot. You know, how folks are getting, and mostly our folks, I have to say this, are getting into whatever is hot as far as a television show. And I have not seen this show yet, in particular, uh, Empire. And I don't know if you've looked at it, but I wanted you to uh, comment on that if possible. And also the show, um, you know, shows like that and Scandal and uh, How to Commit a Murder. I think that's the name of it.
1: How to get away with murder?
2: get away with murder yeah you see, I'm looking at all
1: <laughs> this stuff obviously <laughs> <laughs> well you know, it's an interesting time because what you have um is something that we haven't had in some time, which are several predominantly black shows or shows that have black lead actors that are being uh produced written by uh african americans directed by austin uh, directed by African Americans so it is an interesting time i I'm familiar with all three of the shows, um, not necessarily as faithful <laughs> as some as some of my friends, maybe, but I am familiar with it, and so I think that the the the, the positive, of course, is that these shows do show a diverse um, look at African American life. It does. It doesn't have a, a sort of basic staple character that. Sort of every black person looks on television the same. It, it, it does show different experiences um, from from a female black female lawyer to uh, a black female who has power in D.C., though it, it's very inter- a complicated and scandal, uh, and to uh, a black media family in Empire. And so you have these three different stories take place, and they sh- do show. It, I don't I don't really think they show necessarily majority black life, but they do show aspects of African-American life in America today. You do have these sort of type of families. I don't know if was actually from an actual person. In Empire, you do have hip-hop moguls that have families that, that are continuing this tradition. So I think in that aspect, it is good to have this many black shows that are very, very popular showing different aspects of black life that a few years ago, the only black shows on television were made by Tyler Perry. That's it. Yeah. And so, yeah. And and so all of a sudden now you have a lot more and they're gaining more recognition. And so I think that opened the door for more black shows. So I think it's good because you do have more black people having power and writing and production in Hollywood. And they're telling the story from their black perspective of black life. Um, The only, the major negative I have, but this will be for any show, and and this isn't really the show, it's more of American culture, it's that African-Americans on television and African-American stereotypes are more accepted than any other stereotype, and so people like to believe that blacks on television are how blacks are, period. It's just more accepted than any other group, and there's been various studies about that, so I do... Right. That's always going to be a problem. So no matter what they show on television, there are going to be people who think this is just black life. The good thing is you have three separate shows showing, and and some of them are very extreme. So obviously they're not, you know, how to get away with murders. It's sort of, it's, it's a little bit extreme. But it is showing, yeah, <laughs> but it is showing a black female uh, lawyer who is the lead, Viola Davis, who who contributes to more diversity and just. Um, physical appearance, it's not all lighter skinned black women, it's a mix, of diversity of blackness, which is great, it's good to have sort of a diversity of black women and black men on television, I do like that, so I, I am, I, I do like several of the shows, but I also think that it's good, because number one, it's just not one show, number two, Tyler Perry is not the only representation on television, which I've always wanted more than just him. You know, happy to have him. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Polly Perry, but, I've, I, you know, I love that the brother's doing things, but I always wanted more. And so now you do have more, and I think it's good. You have more of a diversity in black looks where you don't have a staple black female look. You have more diversity in characters. You have diversity in incomes and economic levels. You have a diversity in education levels of the characters. I I like it. Um, I like it. I do. I, I think that it, it's a good start to having just over i still don't like that either you have mainly a black show or a white show with a few spots of other people uh it doesn't necessarily represent the world as is but it's still i I do like that there's three shows and not just one show and that's it that's all we have we have three shows and i'm not even including other shows at all these are just the three newer shows i
5: guess
2: Um, i'm I'm happy
1: yes right now they're very very popular
2: and, and something you just said that you actually said in the book also is that this assumption by the majority population in this country, white folks, is that what they see on television, I'm related back to your book, what they see depicted on the stage in blackface is how our folks actually act. And they're always shocked when they find out that we don't act like the folks of Empire, or we don't act like. Dan Rice on the stage, so it just and' it like you're saying it's, it's history just continues it's put in a different it, package, it, but it's the same thing Here go ahead
1: it, it must be hard for uh, black entertainers because you have this sort of you have this, this burden in some ways because you have a very tainted history of African Americans in entertainment, and so you you're challenging that you also have to due to just the culture, for some reason, be the representative of blackness. And you also are an artist. You also are trying to display this art, and you're trying to keep a job. So you're balancing all of those. Some people do it better than others, I must say. But it's very hard because even the African-American community, judges very harshly African-Americans on television and in music, what have you. And I I think it's because many African-Americans also realize that uh, they often represent the African American community as a whole, and that's a problem. The African American community today is very diverse, and hopefully, television continues to show that. And maybe we can sort of push back against this idea that black on television represents black. Period. Because white on television right. don't have that burden.
2: No, no, that's yeah, that's a subject in itself too. Got one more
1: question yes, for that's you a
2: whole you. Other. I know. I got to get you back on to just do that one, but. Are you did you happen to see you know speaking about entertainers and all, and I got into the discussion with a number of folks about this, so I'm curious, I brought it up on this I think I brought it up on the show before, but during the n b a all star game, beyonce was wearing a dress that had on it
1: the,
2: <laughs> well i guess you you know, I guess you know what I'm talking about the, I know uh, exactly uh,
1: what so you're
2: yeah, talking about yeah yeah the uh, it had the uh, the the depiction of the uh caricature of a black person from the restaurant in the 30s and 40s and early 50s, the Coon, the chicken coon inn, which had yes, a door that yes. had the caricature of a big black face, what this, these particular white folks thought black men looked like. So, you know, I got into a discussion about that where, a lot, and again, a lot of 20-year-olds were saying, well, this is an opportunity for Beyonce to talk about racism by wearing that outfit. And I didn't see it that way. And folks my age and a little bit younger didn't see it that way either. And I just wonder what you thought about her wearing something like that.
1: You know, and I, I like Beyonce. I am I am a, a fan. I may not be an extreme fan, but, but I am a fan of her music. However, I think it is very – she doesn't necessarily know her history. <laughs> I think no, people like does. to yeah. – I think that people like to put, for example, when she made a few songs and and then all of a sudden she's the feminist, she's the new feminist. uh, uh, I don't think she's that deep, just to put it really, really bluntly. I think there are several musicians, actors, and and, uh, actresses that can and, and often do speak very intelligent on the African American experience and culture and history. I think that she is a good representative of a, of a young woman who is strong and independent, that's very good. However, she may not be aware of that culturally. However, something about that should have bothered her when she put it on. Something about that should have been like, wow, what does that mean? You know, the face, the look, it looks like a black caricature, like a black extreme, something going on there that would maybe have some people to ask, okay, what is this again?
2: And I, and I picked
1: on it immediately. And I, always, I saw it immediately. Yeah, and I always think, I like, was your mom? <laughs> I, I do. I always yeah. think, well, where's your mom? Because if you don't know, your mom knows. And so, but the thing is, is that I, I, I think, and this goes back to what I said earlier about of African-American entertainers carrying that burden that I don't, she does not represent African-American history and culture. She is an entertainer. And so even though she will be a part of entertainment history and what have you, she does not necessarily know her black history enough to really kind of to know that, okay, I should not be wearing this. Or if I wear this, this is the time to have this conversation. And I wouldn't want her to have that conversation unless she was well aware. You know, and so I do think that I would hope a young lady, a young African American would look at that and say, hey, let me just, okay, now what is this character that you have on this sweater that you want me to wear? Uh, Especially because she knows whatever she wears is going to be put out there. However, That's I also recognize that she simply is not, number one, she, uh, she's not from that generation. I, I don't know if I would know if I didn't read about it. I think maybe if someone older was around and said, hey, you do know that this, would, you know, this is what that means, maybe she knows now uh, this conversation, and so hopefully she would sort of not wear it again. However, she is she's just an entertainer. She's not a She's is. not, you know... And so I I think, and so for me, I don't put that burden on her to represent. I do think, okay, you should have used a little bit of just common sense that this looks funny. However, you know, however, she didn't. And so, you know, hopefully someone said, hey, why don't you look this up or read a little bit and and get to know it. Um, But that is a burden that black entertainers have that I think is, 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 is just too much sometimes. Uh, and I think all um, racial and ethnic minority entertainers have that burden to represent their people and to be aware and what have you. So I, I have mixed feelings towards that. I have feelings that she should have just known that something was off about it by putting it on. Or um, she's just an entertainer and, and you know, really what she does is sing and, and dance and
5: and That's right. And she like the colors of the sweaters. Like, this will look good if are in all-star game. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, and I hope that, you know, I, I think that her, her mother is a, a good wisdom point in her life. And hopefully her mother was like, hey, in, just in case, this is why people are talking. I do I do hope that she has that uh, generational wisdom, which I think she does. Um, and, of course, I say that her mother's from Louisiana and I'm from Louisiana, so that's, you know, my southern oh, okay. <laughs> belief that, that mom pulls you to the side and says, hey, you know, maybe in the future yeah. she, you shouldn't wear that. Um Right. But I'm more worried that if she does make a statement about it, and she says something that will cause people to say, oh, yeah, that's so yesterday. Let's get over that past. That, that I would be more worried about an unintelligent statement than anything else, because her words do have power. Um, and that, that's it is. a <laughs> scary
5: It is. It is. It's very scary.
2: We, we got to have a show about that, but I just want to say, Professor Thompson, I just want to thank you for being on today. You wrote a great, and this book is great. And are you working on anything now, another book?
1: I am working on a few articles, and I I will be working on my second book soon. I'm trying to get some articles out. Uh, I'm working on an article on um, the history of black male comedians cross dressing. From uh, Flip oh. <laughs> oh, we gotta. Oh, yes. I
2: gotta get you back on when you have that, We gotta get <laughs> you back on because we gotta talk about. You mentioned in the book, as a matter of fact, about Dave Chappelle, but we're not gonna do it now.
1: Okay. Oh, okay. That's,
2: yeah. that's that's a subject. Oh, we'll get you on later on in the in the spring or something. Okay. Because we gotta talk about that. Let me know when that article comes out. We have to get you on, you on know. that I
1: will let
2: you know. Yes. All right. thank well, you, well, thank very you
1: much so for much
2: for having again. It's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much Professor Thompson. You take care.
1: Thank you. Bye.
2: And again, that was Professor Katrina D. Thompson, author of the book Ring Shout: Wheel About the Racial Politics of Music and Dance in North American Slavery. It is on the University of Illinois Press. Check it out. It just gives you so much fascinating history. I mean, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, as you know on this show all these years, I'm always talking about history, African American history, but there's always something new to learn, and I just learned so much from this book. So pick it up, you know. We'll have uh, Professor Thompson on again. She's just fascinating to talk to, and we're gonna get to some music right now. And I'm going back to the turn of the 20th century because I want to play this one. This is another minstrel song. This is um Billy Cox. He also was known as Luke Baldwin. And the name of this thing is, you know, I I know it's going to be offensive for a lot of us out there, but this is history. This nigger loves a watermelon. So let's hear that on the Root and Root Show. Mm Mm-hmm.
6: Take the he That's a watermelon, brr, ain't lot the watermelon, brr, big it up, yank it up, take them tall, that's awesome, and that's in the tune of Kentucky and Money and they run like bow. loves watermelon, ha 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 loves watermelon, ha 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 she took down to button her shoe and the wind blew up the avenue. Nigga of the watermelon Niggle of the watermelon Nigga up yanked up take the send the fall down the poppin' in the soon gone diggy in the floor.
2: entertainment, as Professor Thompson was just talking about, as we've talked about many times on this show, and that's what you can't hide your history. That's my whole thing. I know a lot of you out there probably were offended by that song and the previous song I played, but the fact is you can't hide the history. Entertainment in this country started, as Professor Thompson said, on the slave ships, on, you know, what you see now is the same thing that was going on A different form But the basic forms Of entertainment Still exist And that's what We've been talking about And that's why On the show The Root and Root Show We try to show you The roots of History and the roots of music Because it all Interconnects And so I just hope That you You know Are learning something As people have been emailing me And just you know Following the show They have said They really enjoy these shows And we're going to keep On doing them As we've done for Many 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 years So I'm going to do Right now It's a long song here This is um Big Joe Turner, and I'm doing this one because um, yesterday I played some music from uh, Clark Terry because he passed early in the week, and this is from, this is an uh, album called The Trumpet Kings, it's Clark Terry, Dizzy Gillespie, Sweets Edelman, and Roy Eldridge, and they are in the background, and I can't tell one from the other actually, but they're in the background, and, and Big Joe Turner is singing on this and this song is um uh, it's about uh, thirteen minutes or more long and it's called T V Mama. So let's hear the trumpet kings and Big Joe Turner on the Root and Root Show and T V Mama singing their singing and playing their hearts out. <laughs> It also would help if I turned the microphone on. <laughs> I was just talking. I didn't have the mic on. But anyway, that was a Big Joe Turner, along with the Trumpet Kings,
1: Dizzy Gillespie,
2: Sweets Elton, Roy Eldridge, and the great Clark Terry who passed this week. And that was TV Mama. And I think we'll keep on that kind of blues theme. We're going to do a little bit of Marvin Cease here. And he's talking about the Ditch Diggers. So let's hear that on the Root & Root Show.
4: Getting tired of this Everywhere I turn Somebody's dipping in my business And don't even know the flame Y'all know what I mean They're always criticizing Telling me I need to change Just because they don't like what I like Y'all know what I
5: mean
4: But still the very next day Some of the same people calls me and say, Bob, do you have any spare change? Y'all know what I mean. You see, I found out something about those people. Y'all listen to me good. They don't believe in me, but I believe in myself. They only want to use me and throw me away. They don't mean me no good, no, no They're trying to bring me down But I'm not gonna let it happen, no Cause I know who they are Mr. and Mrs. DJ Will you play this song for me? Help me tell these people To stay away from me That's what they are, backstabbers. I did them no wrong But they want to hurt me Listen, please I don't know why They want to hurt me I did them no wrong, no wrong Now I got to say so long But mama always told me, be careful who I call a friend. I think I got a few cases of plain jealousy. Jealousy. Mr. and Mrs. DJ, will y'all play this song for me? Help me tell these people, oh, stay away from me. Nothing but
5: backstabbers
4: I did you no wrong Tell me why you want to hurt me say please huh.
5: I'm
4: going to court tomorrow I'm going to see the judge And when I talk to him I'm going to plead my case you see, I don't need no lawyer All oh, because I trust the judge I'm going to tell him how I've been treated And I'm going to ask him all oh, for an order of protection hey. To keep all of y'all Far away from me And then I'm going to tell him How good I've been to y'all And y'all use and abuse me And I'm going to ask the judge To make all of y'all Tell me the truth (laughs) And from now on I'm going to stay away all of y'all i get you no wrong but you want to hurt me why I don't mean you no harm, I'm just having fun, I'm in my wine. i gonna keep talking to myself, standing in the middle of the floor. I've been here for an hour trying to get a picture on my radio. I don't mean you no wrong, wouldn't do you no harm, I'm just in my wine. My
5: voice.
4: I don't mean you no wrong. Wouldn't do you no harm. I'm just in my way. Call me Robin Hood I should have been thinking Well, instead I was drinking If I had been thinking Yes, I'd have been Father, brother My friend was many More than you know I ain't got no money, I can't get one to go I should have been thinking Well, instead I was drinking If I had been thinking Yes, I'd have been Father,
5: brother Hey
7: Bounce round like pretty sure, And when that trip is over you know that I was there So if you decide you want to ride I'll gladly be your guide Just ask for a stand love for man A pale-pushin' papa, am I? pale-pushin' That's me
5: And pop, is, he? And
7: pop, is he That's me pop, is he? Ah, yes, is. I'll rock your soul and make you roll and
5: pop,
7: is he I'll oh, let the leg tree Bounce round like pretty stem and Oh, you know that I was there So if you decide, you want to ride I'll gladly be your guy Just ask for them, the love of man A fellow pushing papa, am I? Oh, yeah A fellow papa, am I?
2: Right. That was uh, Billy Ward and the Dominoes, and that was Pedal Pushing Papa. Before that, we did uh, Anastine Allen and Give It Up, Old Man. And before that, we did uh, Cootie Williams, and I Should Have Been Thinking rather than Drinking. And then we did uh, Amos Milbourne in My Wine, and we started to set off with. Marvin Cease, and Ditch Diggers. I hope you enjoyed that on the Root & Root Show. And I want to say hi to my buddy out there, Tristan. I know he's listening in, as well as his daddy, Stevie, and with his family down there. I want to say hi to you. And also hi to my my buddy, Miss Wilson, out there. I want to say hi to um, all my all my friends out there in Denver who are listening on KUHS Denver Radio and TV, thanks to Henry Letter. You'll hear this on a delayed basis, but I hope you're enjoying the music and enjoyed the previous discussion with uh, Dr. Katrina Thompson and her book about racial politics of music and dance and North American slavery. I hope you enjoyed that, but we're going to get to more music here on the Root & Root Show. I think, um, keeping in line with that uh, kind of bluesy theme, I think we'll do a little bit of, hey, let's do some Freddie King. Freddie King and... Big-legged woman, so let's hear that
5: on the Root & Root show.
4: Got no tongue.
2: on here, raps on here, starting with the truth. So let's hear that on the Root & Root show.
6: krs want show showbiz with the truth. All <laughs> for say, guys, one, guys, one,
2: guys, one,
4: Ain't no lie, ain't no lie, we gon' live it out, truth can't stay in my mouth, I gotta spit it out, 24 years with cheers, I took a different route, knowledge reigns supreme on the scene, have you been missing out, cats walking around all blind, their tongues sticking out, governments robbing them blind, look how they pick them out, you her, you him there, go to jail, you him, you her, they, them gonna fail, no mystic it's statistics that prevail, we mathematical equations on a scale, we don't even write no more, we email, we don't even see TV, we Damn. All them shows about prison and why. If you don't want little kids to listen, you lie. But still we claiming I'm fly, claiming red and blue, looking tired-eyed. Me, i want some other shit. Who shit. can't stay in my mouth, I gotta spit it out. Me, i want some other shit. Who shit. can't stay in my mouth, I gotta spit it out. Me, i want some other shit. Who shit. can't stay in my mouth, I gotta spit it out. Stay in my mouth, I gotta spit it out. I write about the spirit that is, the lyric it gives experiences to kids before they do biz. Coming off the top like wigs and garbage lids. I'm good for your blood like garlic is. Calling all the kids, L-O-B-E, That's all it is. I'ma handle my biz like Molly. Me tying hardly. I don't even live in this world, I live godly. K R S wants to teach type. tight. In the midst of the darkness, I be the light. I'm wealthy, not rich. Right. That means I get money, but I can sleep at night. Where your mind at? Tell me, where you find that? Your whole soul to the devil, did you sign that? Come back, helping you wise up, open your eyes up, it's time to rise up. Me, I'm on some other shit, Other shit. Who can't stay in my mouth? I gotta spit it out. Me, I'm on some other shit, Other shit. Who can't stay in my mouth? I gotta spit it out. Me, I'm on some other shit, Other shit. Who can't stay in my mouth? I gotta spit it out. I'm on some other shit. shit. Truth can't stay in my mouth. I gotta spit spit it out. Is it BET? Is it Bob M.I.C.? So the people can see. I mean, how you think you free when you act like property? Tell me, how do you judge an M.C. when he's rocking? I mean, rocking it live, not picking his cotton. I mean, I his clothes. I mean, how do you know before you come to the show that you're not getting heated, that you're not getting cheated, that you ain't come to the club thinking, I must have been weeded? You got to be your educated consumer, spend your money on M.C.'s, because these rappers will do you. You ask for that autograph, they ask that quick Beware of the rapper, he talks like it don't matter He pulls his jet while we bust off the Gatler Yeah
5: Yeah, and a crush and a crush.
4: Out. It's 86 showing the crowd what I'm about, and they still want to know when the album coming out. Ask the teenagers, OGs, and asses, kids, what the definition of classic is. Timeless, so age don't count in the pool When your flow stays submerged in the fountain of youth, ain't no doubt in the truth. I'm off the meter, everybody co it, even non-believers. Cause I came in the door, became one of y'all's leaders. In the fresh air, Air Force One sneakers. Uptown, we call them up when they on defense. Probably won with krs No Made maybe look for He did, I bet your car had him on when he walked with Jesus. Classic. classic. Live straight classic. Classic. I'm better than I ever been.
5: I'm
4: everywhere you never been. Better than I ever been. Classic. Live straight classic.
2: Classic. I'm better than I ever... that I ended that a little sooner than I wanted to, but that was uh, Kanye West, and he's giving tribute to... The legends of rap and that was uh, on that that's called classic and that featured uh nas krs1 and also rakim and again that was kanye and classic and before that we did a uh, three raps by uh krs1 everybody rise get yourself up in the truth i hope you enjoyed that on the root and root show and i'm gonna play i think i'll do i didn't do, I didn't do any gospel yesterday and i didn't i'm gonna do some right now Let's play a little bit of Dixie Hummingbirds, and this goes out to my buddy Joe Dunn out there, and this is um, Dixie Hummingbirds, Who Are We?, and they talk about how they became the Dixie Hummingbirds on the Root & Root Show.
7: We're going to tell you how we got started, and we're going from there. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right. Well, way down south where we came from, in the land of the good sunshine, there's a little bird that flies around,
4: humming all the time. And one day in the spring, while the birds were humming,
7: James B. Davis overheard, and then he decided to name his group the Dixie Hummingbird. So we've been
4: singing for the master, ever since we in out here. Ride the highways and all of our pockets clean. <laughs> Who are we? The Dixie Hummingbird. The Dixie
5: Hummingbird.
4: Well, the road was rough and the going was tough, but we managed to sing every now and then. Most of the time we would run the service. We'd always run into slim. You know, slim could be the difference in a meal or maybe not
7: when you look for three hundred people, you don't see the twenty-one. But been ooh, about it. Ooh, 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 Every since we've been singing all night. Ooh, ever since we were in
4: our teens, riding ooh, down the highways and all of our pockets. Please, who are we? A Dixie back. Boom boom Yet I can't stay away from you. You've been leaving me and deceiving me. That I can't stay away
5: from you I can't stay away I can't stay away I can't stay away I can't stay away I can't stay away
4: You're my one girl I can't
5: stay away
4: And I can't stay
2: away Amazing Curtis Mayfield in the impressions there And that was I Can't Stay Away And before that I did a song by... Uh, young women's group back from the early 70s, the fascinations that was discovered by Curtis Mayfield. And you can hear that sound in that song that they sang, which was Just Another Reason. And that started to set off with the Dixie Hummingbirds, and they talked about, who are we? So you learned a little of their history there. As you learn history tonight, (coughs) excuse me, about the uh, racial politics of music and dance and North American slavery and the Dawnings of American Entertainment And that was due to our guest uh, Dr. Katrina Thompson We'll be on again sometime You know, but the book is Ring, shout, wheel about And it's on the University of Illinois Press Check it out Because it's an excellent book It talks about the history The dawn of entertainment in this country But we'll have more shows like that As always, we'll sure have her, we'll have her back on And if you have a topic you're interested in me talking about a guest or something, just go to my Facebook site, Greg, G-R-E-G, last name Rashid R-A-S-H-E-E-D, or go to Twitter at Unifix, U-N-I-F-I-C-S. That's U-N-I-F is in Frank, I-C-S as in Sam, and it's at Unifix on Twitter. Or you can just go to the uh, Blog Talk Radio site and look for the Root & Root Show, And leave your comments. If you're interested in advertising or being a sponsor of the show, go there, too. But I just want to say go in love and go in peace, and we'll be back here next Friday on the Root & Root Show. Again, I say hi to all my friends out in Denver, listening on KUHS and Denver Radio and Television. And I'm going to leave you today and get you dancing again. i will leave you today with, I think we'll do some zap. Let's play uh, zap with Roger and... I can make you dance. We'll see you next week on the Root and Root Show. Go in love and go in peace.